0: You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. Well, good morning, Hope Bible Church, Kelowna. It is a great privilege for me to uh, be with you today, to be able to open God's Word and share some things about God's grace and His goodness to us. So why don't you get your Bibles out and open them up to Acts chapter 11. We're going to be looking at a message entitled, Compelled by Grace. But uh, while you're doing that, I just want to bring you greetings from uh, the Great Commission Collective as the uh, Canadian Regional Director. It is such a privilege for me to serve our churches and to serve your church as well. Um, I also want to give a little shout out to Hope Bible Church in Markham, which they put the team together for us to be able to make this video uh, to send out to you. So a very big uh, thank you to them as well. the statement of purpose for the Great Commission Collective is planting churches, strengthening leaders. We—I uh, just had a retreat a week or so ago when all of the pastors from across Canada came together. It was great to be able to pour into them and pray with them and share with them uh, during these difficult days. And I was just so thankful that uh, Meldon was able to be there. Uh, he was a great encourager to all of us as well. And then planting churches is the other part of our mandate. And You know, when I think about GCC Canada and planting churches, my heart goes to the West because the churches in Western Canada have taken on church planting with a passion. And uh, I thank God for that. I, I think of the church plant that's in Red Deer that uh, Chris Gervin is the pastor of, and that church is up and running now. And, and now we have um, Kyle and his wife Julie who have moved to Edmonton to plant a church there. And uh, just so good to see what God is doing. And so the pastors in the West, uh, Trevor and John and Quentin, along with Meldon, uh, have a great heart for church planting, and we rejoice to be a part of that. It's great because the rest of us can also get behind those church plants and support by giving names of people who live in the area and and support financially. So it's just cool how God's given us a movement in Canada to support together, to work, to see churches planted for the glory of God. And so that's a real quick little update about GCC. I wish I was there, but it's just not possible this year. I'll look forward to being back out in beautiful Kelowna as soon as God allows for that to happen. Well, as I said, I want to talk to you about a message entitled, Compelled by Grace. But before we do that, let me ask you um, this question. When you think about Canadians, people who live in Canada, what, what sets us apart? When people think about us, what do they think about? Um, I think of a number of things. One of them is, we are the kinder, gentler Americans, um, when you travel around the world, I always make sure I got a Canadian flag on my, on my hat, uh, a little lapel pin, because uh, it, people love Canadians around the world. And, uh, and so we're the kinder, gentler Americans. I like to say it that way, uh, but we're also known as the people where they say we say A a lot. At the end of every sentence, we say A. We don't, but uh, that's how we're known around the world. Um, we're the people who are the kinder, gentler ones until you put a hockey stick into our hands, and then we're no longer the kinder, gentler ones. Now, we're the conquer the world people um, to the point where Hockey sticks are used in COVID as a, as a unit of measurement of how far we should stay apart from each other. Um, so, those are kind of cute things that we're known about. We're also known in the world right now as the, uh, the place where the residential school atrocities happen, right? So, not everything about our country is beautiful and, and thinking of the mountains and the prairies and out east and all the rest. Of you, all of that is just the story. Some of it's good, some of it's bad, but it's how we're known. When people think about you, what do they think about? Do they think you're a fun person, a, a loving person, a caring person? Do, do they think of you as a person with integrity? Or, or are you a person when people think about you, it's like, stay away from that guy, um, don't have anything to do with that guy, or maybe he's a, he's a wheeler dealer, but everything's just a little bit shady. When, when people think about you, what do they think about? When people think about Hope Bible Church in Kelowna, what do they think about? I've watched from this side of the country as as your pastor and your elders have tried to figure out how to deal with different things and work through all this that's gone on with COVID, and and, and you are seeking to be a testimony. New people are coming to your church, and people are getting saved, and that's a great story. So, what, What do people think about your church when they think about you? See, today, as we look into our text, we want to take a look at a church and look at one thing, one thing specifically that the scripture says was known about them. And we find that in Acts chapter 11. I'm going to start in verse 23. So let's look at that first. It says, and when he came and saw the grace of God, that's what he saw. When he came and he saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with a steadfast Purpose. That verse is, is right tucked right in the middle of the story of the church in Antioch, and it's found in Acts chapter 11. So follow with me as I read, starting at verse 19. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch, and for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people, and in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians." Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege to look into it. Thank you for the hope that we find in these pages um, where you have revealed to us your son, revealed to us the way of eternal life. And Lord, as we look today, you, you reveal to us what, what this church was about and what was a central theme for them. Lord, teach us from that. Encourage our hearts. Give us ears to hear your word, God. Give us minds to understand it. And then, Lord, would you give us hearts to, by faith, live these things out in our lives in a sick and dying world with the hope that we have of Jesus Christ the Lord. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, here's the big idea. The big idea for this message would be this. Grace, alive in us, results in impact. When we have grace alive in us, it makes a difference. And so as we get to seeing that in this text, let's understand a little bit about the context of what's going on here in Acts chapter 11. Um, in verse uh, 19 it says... Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. So back in chapter 7, if you go back a couple, you don't need to, but you go back a couple pages in your Bible, you will see in chapter 7 uh, Stephen's testimony, and then you will see the stoning of Stephen. He, he gave his life, and it was Saul who became Paul. It was Saul who was a part of that whole thing, that making that happen and, and encouraged it to happen, um, In chapter 8, we have the attack on the church that was really led by Saul. And then chapter 9, we see the miraculous conversion of Saul. Um, And then chapter 10 is a little bit of a parenthesis with Peter and Cornelius. But then we come into chapter 11, and we get this story. It's the story of the church that is in Antioch. Now, there's a thing that happens in this story between Antioch and Jerusalem. So I got the guys are going to put a map up for you so you can see And uh, have some appreciation for uh, what the distances were here, what was going on. And so on that map, you see down at the bottom, you see Jerusalem. And then up at the top, you see Antioch. Also mentioned in the text is Cyprus and Phoenicia. And so Phoenicia was a region. Cyprus was an island. uh, And then Antioch was a city. Uh, Jerusalem to Antioch is about 500 kilometers So give or take a few kilometers, and give or take some of the beautiful scenery, um, it was the distance between Kelowna and Banff. And so that was the distance in which we hear in this story as we think about the church in Jerusalem, and we think about the church that is in um, Antioch. Um, So back into the text, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch speaking the word to no one except the Jews. The gospel is very limited at this point. Um, it, it, it's focused really towards the Jews. But then it says in verse 20, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And so the Hellenists were Greek Jews. Um, and you see the gospel is starting to expand. And then I love verse 21. Just look what's happened. As a result of the stoning of Stephen, which seems so tragic and so awful. You know, we so often don't understand God's timing and his working. We got this man who has given his life for the Lord Jesus Christ. And now we're going to see some of the fruit that comes out as a result of that. It says, um, and the hand of the Lord was on them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Uh, People heard the gospel as a result of the persecution that happened and they turned. They were were going in this direction and they repented of their sin and turned and put their trust in Jesus Christ and now we're following Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 22. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Now remember, I I mentioned to you that the distance was about 500 miles kilometers. So the report makes its way down to Jerusalem. They hear about it, and they're like, A Barnabas, you need to go and check that out. Now, I don't know what his heart was like the day he got that message. I don't know if he was happy to go and check it out, or he's like, 500 kilometers, like you can drive from Kelowna to Banff in a day. That's not a big deal. But he didn't get to drive. He either walked or rode a donkey. It would have taken a number of days for him to get there. But he gets on his way. He goes up as the representative of the the Jerusalem church to like, let's go and see what God is doing. Let's go and see what's going on In Antioch, Lord, man, I want that to be the story of my life. I want people to be asking, what's going on in your life? What's God doing in your life? I I want that to be the story of your church in Kelowna where people are making calls or knocking on doors or asking you, like, what's going on in that church? church, Something's there that's different, and that's what was seen in Jerusalem, and they send Barnabas up there to check out what's going on. So that's the context. And that brings us to verse 23. It says... uh, when he came and saw the grace of God. You see, the grace compels me to see what God is doing. Grace at work compels me to go and see what God is doing in other people's lives, in my life. It should compel us. And, and so for them, as they heard about the grace of God, it's like, get up there and see what's going on. And so he arrives and it says, and when he saw the grace of God. Grace is God's unmerited favor, undeserved unwanted. Um, It's getting what we don't deserve poured on us. It, It gives and brings to us salvation. Grace saves us. For by grace you have been saved through faith, Ephesians 2 says. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one can boast. Uh, John 3.16, the most famous verse in the whole Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Here we are man on this earth, no desire to follow God, no desire for God, hating God as it were. We were enemies with God and in the midst of that God poured his love out on us while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so we have this group of people who are coming out of this persecution and have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and have now put their trust in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation, understanding what they were trusting in, what they were hoping in, wasn't going to get them what they really desired, and that was to be right with God. And so they trusted Jesus Christ and they were saved. I would ask you that question today. Have you trusted the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation? So many people are trying to get by with just doing more and being better and trying harder. And and God says, no, 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 none of that works. You you need to understand you're separated from me. There's no hope except through Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Transfer your trust from what you're hoping in and put your trust in Jesus Christ and be saved. When, When he came, he saw the grace. He saw that their lives have been changed. Has your life been changed? And if it hasn't today, it can be. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put your trust in Jesus Christ. Admit you're a sinner. I need a Savior. That Savior is Jesus. And today, I turn and I trust him. See, when, when, when Barnabas comes to this church, it says, he saw the grace. He saw the grace. Not only grace that saves us, but grace that that keeps us. In 2 Corinthians twelve nine. it says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ might rest upon me. Grace that keeps us, grace that gives us the strength. Paul asked that the thorn in his flesh would be removed, and God said, no, no, no. That was a grace for him. That was a grace for him. In Hebrews 4, 16, it says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do you ever think about this? I can't see you, obviously, because I'm on a screen and you're in the room live, but um, take a look around at the people who are in the room with you right now yeah, I know there's some weird people in the room with you and, and there are some people who are just maybe a little bit obnoxious and, and maybe you're that person in the room. And, but just take a look around the room. Are you doing that? Thank you. Now, think about this. The only reason, the only reason you're in the room together is because of the grace of God. What God has done in bringing together a group of people in Kelowna is a working of his grace when Sue and I were out there visiting um, a year and a half ago, two years ago, it was so good to be there. We were in the theater at the time and to preach and see what God was doing and uh, just going, this is amazing, God's grace, God's working. And uh, don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget, the only reason, the only reason you are together, the only reason you're pulling together for the, is because of the grace of God. I love this quote by uh, Dr. David Jeremiah. Um, here's what it says. And therein lies an important theological and practical truth. Regardless of what we think we need in terms of help, we really only need one thing, the grace of God. He goes on to say, when God pours out his grace, we receive what he knows we need. Provision, endurance, wisdom, patience, strength, resistance, courage, and more. Barnabas goes up, and when he saw the grace of God, every day, wake up and rejoice if you're a follower of Christ in the grace that God has poured out on you, lavished upon you, that while you were a sinner, Christ died for you, and he keeps you. That's the first thing. Grace compels me to see what God is doing. He went up there to see what was going on. Here's the next thing. Grace compels me to respond. Grace compels me to respond. What, did he, what does it say happened when he saw the grace? Says he was glad. He was glad. Um, a better word would be he was satisfied or he was filled with hope. It triggered with him, within him a response. When you see grace working, it should, it should in your life uh, cause a response. We, we get excited as Canadians about all kinds of things. You might get excited about football or hockey or sports, whatever it is. Maybe you're excited about quilting. I don't know what you're excited about, but everybody gets excited about something. Uh, everybody finds satisfaction, quote-unquote, on a human level in, in things, but, but when Barnabas comes up here and he sees the grace of God, it says he was glad. When uh, you look back at the day of your salvation, even maybe going through difficult days now, do, do you rejoice and are you glad at God's working? When you see what God is doing in your church, are you glad at what God is doing? See, as, as he walked into their room, as he walked into their church, as he walked in and met with them, it just put a smile on his face. He was so thankful to see what God was doing in the midst of all of the terrible things that were going on. God was at work, and he was rejoicing in it. Well, who was this man? His name was Barnabas. And look what it says about him in verse 24. It says, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added uh, to the Lord. Um, this kind of tells us a little bit about his credentials, his qualifications. Don't know what school he went to, if he ever did go to school. But what we do know about him, it says he was a good man. Now, he wasn't a good man like God is good, right? God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. None of us, none of us ever get to that standard. That's not what this word means. This word is a a word that kind of comes around the area of character and integrity and righteousness and holiness. Those Those were the things that were a part of his life. And so when they sent him up there, they sent a good man up there. It's good men, good women, good young adults, good children who look at others and see the grace of God and they're glad. It says that he was full of the Holy Spirit. It was full of the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is not some mystical thing that happens once in a while to somebody. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is something we're supposed to have all the time in our lives. And, and it's a keep on being filled. When you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you were sealed in the Holy Spirit. You were baptized with the Holy Spirit. You were indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And you were filled with the Holy Spirit at that point. But the filling of the Holy Spirit, don't quench the Spirit. Don't quench, don't put out the spirit, but be filled. And that comes by obedience. That comes by faithfulness. It comes by serving. It comes by dealing with sin in our lives so that there's nothing that is keeping us from uh, being used in God's service. There's nothing that keeps us from being glad at what's going on around us. So this guy, this guy, Barnabas, he heads up there and it describes him says he was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit and he was full of faith. He believed that God was going to do a thing in that little church in Antioch that no one could ever explain. He just, he had the faith to believe it. He had the faith to believe it. I love, I love talking with your pastor. Uh, pastor Melvin is a great encourager for me. I trust I am for him as well as we've gone through lots of stuff in COVID. There are lots of days you're thinking to pull your hair out and, um, but I'm just so thankful for his faithfulness and the way that God has used him and uh, used him in my life and, his desire to serve the church and trust the Lord and look down the road to maybe what God would do from your church. It's already happening. It's already happening. I, I just saw on Facebook this week that he was going up to Edmonton trying to collect his posse of people he knows in Edmonton to get him connect them connected with Kyle as part of the church plant up there. Like, that's awesome how God is using him in that. And he's not a perfect man. I'm not a perfect man. But God is using him because he has faith. He has faith to believe. Would we have faith to believe? See, the kind of people that see the grace of God and it makes them glad are people who are good, who are full of the Spirit, who are full of faith. Well, the text goes on and it says, and he exhorted them all. He exhorted them all. We see that in, uh, in verse uh, 23 as well. And this is where grace compels me to act. When I see the grace of God in someone 's life, when I see God working, it compels me now to do something. Um, he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the lord that means to to stick with it, to persevere, to not give up. Uh, I told you uh, in the very beginning of this uh, message that I met with the pastors um, a few weeks ago and You know, one of the words that really came off to me in our time together was persevere, persevere, persevere. I hope you're praying for your pastor during these days. It's hard, it's hard. People are asking you questions there's no simple answers to and they're looking to you for answers and everybody doesn't agree. And it's just like, one guy said this, he said, I just wish I could have a conversation with somebody that I didn't have to just share my opinion and it was gonna cause division. It's hard, persevere. Persevere And so when he saw them, he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord. Remember the context therein, the stoning of Stephen. It was hard. being a Christian wasn't a popular thing at all. It brought with it persecution and hardness and all the rest. and he goes, "Here's what I want you to do. I see your faith, I see God's grace. I want you to persevere. I want you to stick with it. Here's some verses for you to think about, James 122 "Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial." For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. In Galatians 6 and verse 9, it says, let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. In Romans 5, 3 to 5, it says, more than that, we rejoice in our suffering. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And James 1, 2-4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Last verse, 1 Chronicles 16, 11. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. As as Barnabas sees the grace of God in these dear people, it compelled him to, it says he exhorted them to remain faithful, remain faithful, faithful to the Lord. I don't know where you're at today. I I don't even know who you are. Uh, But I do know this, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, one thing that Jesus Christ wants you to do is hang in there, to be faithful, to persevere, to not give up, to remain faithful to what God has called you to um, as I talk with our churches, I, churches are trying to get things back up and going again as we're able in different parts of the country. And, and one of the difficulties is people are a little bit resistant or even um, a little nervous about that. And I get all that. I, I'm a guy who's had a heart attack, and so I've had to work my stuff through and all of that as well. But, but here's what the reality is. Remain faithful to the Lord. Remain faithful to the Lord. Uh, get involved. Be serving. Allow God to work through you. Um, that was his exhortation to them. Why? Because grace, it changes us. It won't be easy, but we'll reap if we do not give up. When I first preached this message, it was in August, and uh, two days before I preached this message, I'm going to tell a story about your pastor. Um, I was in a text exchange with him. If you remember, it was about uh, a few days before his daughter was about to get married. Um, there are forest fires um, close to your city. Um, the rules were changing about church. And we were texting back and forth, and God bless him. He was being honest, and he was frustrated. And I, I can only imagine, right? And, uh, and then a little later, and, and so myself and another guy, we were texting back and forth. And, and then that night, he put a, a thing up on Facebook for you to see. And he talked about how the message he was going to preach was a message that he needed to hear God needed to do in his life, and God was working in his life with, and I just thought, oh, that's so, so amazing. It's hard, but I'm going to be faithful. It's hard, but I'm going to be faithful. Um, may that be the story of all of our lives as we serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, here's, here's one more thing. Um, when we are people who see the grace of God and we are glad, it says, um, they, they did this with a steadfast purpose. Look at verse 23 again. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with a steadfast purpose. Um, my wife Sue and my life verse is 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Um, they had a steadfast purpose. They were keeping the main things, the main things. That's what he's crying out to them to do. Faithful to the Lord with a steadfast purpose. Keep the main things, the main things. Um, a lot of our churches use this statement. Lost people saved. Saved people matured. Matured people multiplied all for the glory of God. That's, that's the main thing. To glorify God through the fulfillment of the great commission in the spirit of the great commandment. That's, that is the main thing. God help us to stick with a steadfast purpose on what God's called us to and not get sidetracked into so many other things in these days. Not wavering, staying laser focused with the purpose to glorify God they be people of God growing in his word, growing in prayer, growing in faith, growing in proclamation, growing in a desire for evangelism, growing in meeting needs in our community and in the church, uh, growing in caring, and then growing in making disciples. Look how this text ends in verses 25 and uh, verse 26. It says, so Barnabas sent to Tarsus to look for Saul. So, Saul wasn't there. He's still called Saul. He becomes Paul uh, just a little bit further down through Acts to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. God is building his church and they needed discipleship. They needed to grow. They needed to mature in Jesus Christ. And so off he goes to find Saul. We don't know how long it took, but he goes and he finds him, and he brings him back. And it says, they met with the church, and they taught a great many people. They were doing life together. They were growing in discipleship. And then it says these words, and at Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. The disciples were first called Christians. Some commentators think that was a negative term, "you Christ ones." Um, other commentators were more on the side of they just needed a way to describe who these new people were. They were Christ followers. They were they were Christians. Um, hey, if anybody ever mocks you for being a, a a Bible thumper or for being a Christian or for being a born againer or yeah, I realize that can seem hurtful, but the reality is they're seeing something in you. Unless you're being obnoxious, then get off your high horse and humble yourself. But the reality is, as a follower of Christ, we should stand out. And they needed a way to identify who these people were. And so it's in Antioch, Antioch, this church under persecution, this, this church that, was, that has the grace of God, that people are first called Christians. The terms only used three times in Scripture here, and then in Acts in Acts twenty six, twenty eight, and Paul is before Agrippa, and Agrippa said to Paul, "In short time, would you persuade me to become a Christian?" And so uh, Paul is talking to Agrippa; he's giving his defense, and Agrippa's like, you're, "You're trying to convert me. You're trying to convert me. Yeah, praise God. You're trying to make me into a Christ one." Um, and then First Peter four sixteen yet if anyone suffers as a Christian. Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. As a follower of Jesus Christ, as a person who has the grace of God poured out on us. Would we have a testimony in our world like the church of Antioch had that got 500 kilometers away when there was no phones, there was no email, there was no texting, there was no Facebook. The story of their lives got transferred. Literally, for them, would have been halfway around the world for them. And then God worked, and Barnabas comes, and he sees this grace, and he is glad. Well, so what? So what? take a look at verse 24. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Why is this important? Why is this story important? So, so a great many people can be added to the Lord. God help me God, help me in my daily walk. God, help you in your daily walk. God, help me as, as, as I'm in my work. God, help you in your workplace, in your family, in your school, wherever you are. That we would be people who demonstrate the grace of God. Why? Why? So that a great many people will be added to the Lord. Not only in Kelowna, not only in the central region of British Columbia, But out from you, literally around the world, God will use you for his glory because of his grace being demonstrated in your lives to bring glory to our Savior, Jesus Christ the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the story of this church. Thank you for the way that you worked in them and you worked through them, that their testimony, we're still hearing it today, the, the fact that the first place people were called Christians was there. Father, would would we be followers of Jesus Christ? Would we be Christ ones who demonstrate the grace of God so that people want to know about the reason of the hope that is in us? Set aside the things that are not important, but focus on what is right and true and honor you, God, in our walk. God, we pray that the name of Jesus Christ would be exalted in this church for your fame, for your glory. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.